This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about three portfolio pitfalls to avoid. <laughs> Pitfall is kind of a big word. It, it obviously indicates a problem or something that you have fallen into that maybe isn't so desirable. And there's three common portfolio pitfalls that people don't think about when it comes to managing their portfolio, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So with me today, I have Kelsey Banky. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Thank you. Kelsey and I are both certified financial planners at Stirk Financial, and we work with these pitfalls and helping people avoid them every day. (laughs) In fact, we actually have a seminar coming up about this on October 10th, where we go into these three along with three or four others in a much more detailed basis. And this seminar is for people, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or if you really like the investment detail behind portfolio management, this seminar is something that you might really enjoy. So join us. We've partnered with Western Iowa Tech and the Lifelong Learning Program to present it. We'd love for you to come. Okay. The first portfolio pitfall that we want to talk about is what's called buy and hold without spot checking for peer group performance. So I would say, and Kelsey, tell me if you agree, that buy and hold is probably the oldest portfolio strategy in the book. I would say that's probably true. And it's very common for people to want to follow that. So, um, but what you're saying here though, with spot checking peer group performances, you can buy something and you can hold something for a really long time, but if you're never checking that it's still good or checking how it's doing against, um, it's peer group or or anything like that, then how do you know you should be holding it? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the, you know, the old investment adage is, buy low and sell high. And that's how we make money, right? So buy and hold was a strategy that was created thinking that, you know, if you just hold something long enough, eventually it will go up. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Not everything goes up, but a lot of things over time are are likely to go up if you hold them for long enough. However, the degree of up is the pitfall that people frequently fall into and they don't even know that they are in it. Okay. And here's what I mean by this. You know, there's 20 some odd thousand mutual funds out there. There's a lot of them. (laughs) So how in God's name do you know if what you're in is even any good? Especially with 20,000. I mean, yeah, the likelihood that you've picked the best one and that's the best one to hold for a very long time. I mean, the odds aren't necessarily always in your favor on that. But check. I mean, the data is out there. Having a system in place to monitor what you have is something that's able to be done. So why not do it? It's not impossible. Right. So when I talk about the degree of up, I I guess I want to kind of give you some generalities to think about. Okay. So in the span of investments out there that you might have been thinking about buy and hold, there are some that are going to be above average. There's some that are going to be average and there's some that are going to be below average. 
Okay. So I'm not even so concerned about finding the absolute one best thing out there. I just think that if you can consistently be above average, that's the ideal place for investors to land, right? If we have 20,000 choices for something, why would we want to just settle for average or why would we want to stay in anything that's below average? So the question becomes then, how do you know whether your investments that are in your buy and hold strategy are above average, average, or below average? And that all comes down to something that's called peer group performance, okay? Now, what I mean by peer group performance is that all assets like stocks or mutual funds or ETFs or bonds or things like that can be grouped into something that is basically a category. And a category is also sometimes referred to as an asset class, okay? So examples of an asset class might be large company growth or small company value. Kelsey, what are some other uh, examples of asset classes? Uh, international bonds or emerging markets mm-hmm. or um, multiple kinds of bonds. I mean, there's short term, <laughs> long term, intermediate term, uni bonds. Right. Uh, the list goes on and on. There's there's lots of categories. Right. So there's a number of different asset classes, which means there's a lot of different categories. But an asset class is usually made up of a group of investments who are all basically trying to do the same thing with the same group of companies. Okay. So let's focus on, say, a large company growth fund. There is maybe 2,500 different large company growth mutual funds out there in the world that investors can use. But there is only so many actually stocks that large company growth funds would invest in. And the reason for that is to be considered a large company, you have to have revenue over a certain dollar amount. And to be a growth fund or to be eligible for a growth fund, it means that your company has to be in a certain growth-oriented type of economic cycle. So there's only so many stocks in the entire world that fit large company growth, and all 2,500 large company growth funds are basically buying and selling those exact same stocks. They're just all doing it a little bit differently in which ones they're buying and selling and when they're doing it and how fast they're doing it. Okay, but they're all playing in the same pool, (laughs) if you think about it that way. So if the if the category, if the asset class is all playing with the same basket of available stocks for that asset class, then that means that that is its peer group. Okay, it means that they are all trying to invest in basically the same thing. So the the question becomes then, well, who's doing it better? (laughs) Who's winning the game? (laughs) That's right. So who's doing it better? Who's creating consistent returns that are above average? Who's creating the average returns? And who are the ones, who are the players in here that are below average? And so peer group ranking is something that we think is a really strong focus for when it comes to managing your portfolio. Is if you're going to have money in that asset class, Wouldn't you want to know if your holdings are above average, average, or below average? 
right? So the way to find that out is to use a data service to be able to tell that to you. And the data service that we think does a fabulous job with that is a data service called Morningstar. And I think a lot of listeners who are really into portfolio management, you've probably heard of Morningstar before. So I think what they're the most known for is their star rankings. (laughs) So Kelsey, share with us what those star rankings mean. Star rankings, basically, the more you have, the uh, better you might assume the fund would be. So one star ranking would be the worst. Five star ranking would be the best. If a fund has a five star, then Morningstar is is ranking that fund as a strong performer. Um, It's not no guarantees, of course, like everything in our industry, no guarantees, but just based on their analysis, um, they'll award a five-star ranking to something that they think is a good uh, investment. Yeah, so you can kind of interpret just generically from a star rating that a one might be below average, a five might be above average, and a three might be average. But that there's more to the story than that. So we like to use Morningstar to be able to segregate how many different holdings are available in an asset class. And then in the last calendar year, were you above average, average, or below average? And then in the last 12 months, were you that way? And what about the last three years or the last five years? Because the truth of it is, is that you should reward performance consistency, right? So the fund that might be the very top one this year, if it was the very bottom one last year, then their net overall return over time is probably very average, right? And so you you don't necessarily want to do all of the funds that are at the top and then at the bottom and then at the top and at the bottom because what you're doing then is creating a level of volatility that might not be best served in your portfolio. But if you can find holdings in an asset class that are consistently above average, then over time you would expect that your performance will be consistently a little bit higher than what the average for that asset class is. You And you want to look for that consistency to avoid some of that volatility, okay? So when we say that a portfolio pitfall is buy and hold without spot checking peer group performance, what we mean is blindly just holding something and not ever looking at it through these goggles. And so what we think is important is at the very least to do an annual spot check of peer group performance to see if you're still above average or if you've slipped below average. And then have some parameters that you set for yourself that say, listen, if I've been below average for this long, I'm gonna go ahead and bail on this buy and hold strategy because clearly I could have better performance if I find something that has consistent better performance than what I meant, okay? So the pitfall is buy and hold without checking that. Now, at Stirk Financial, we look at everything quarterly. So we do peer group analysis quarterly for clients that we work with. And then we have some very set algorithms in place to say, listen, if it's been underperforming for this long, this is when we think it would make sense to tweak that. So that's a more active management style. But if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you should be doing this level of peer group performance or hiring somebody to do it for you at least once a year to see if it makes sense for you to continue to hold some of the things that have rewarded you in the past. (music) 
Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about three portfolio pitfalls that we think is a good idea to avoid. We talked about the first one being buying and holding without spot checking for peer group performance. And the second one we're going to talk about is kind of one that people aren't real commonly aware of. And we would call the, the pitfall is ignoring the sequence of return risk. So sequence of return risk is something that that a lot of people aren't aware of. And in a nutshell, what sequence of return risk means is that the sequence of when you get positive returns versus negative returns matters, especially when you started taking distributions from your assets. So if you are at retirement or in retirement and you have negative returns happen during the first five years of your retirement, the negative return sequence happening in the first five years rather than you know 10 or 15 years down the road, that sequence can create damage in your portfolio that it's possible you might not ever recover from, okay? And so taking money out of a portfolio when there's negative returns, it creates a, an, it, it, it amplifies the negative effect of a down market, okay? So it's extremely important that you try to eliminate that sequence of returns risk or you at least try to minimize it during the first five to 10 years of your retirement. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stories that you've probably heard about of, of people that have had this, but, but you might not understand that this is what sequence of returns risk does. So if you think back to our last big market correction, which was uh, end of 2007, 2008. Yeah. The, okay. <laughs> the great <laughs> correction, I, more than a correction. That yes. was a bad market. The recession. The, the recession. recession. <laughs> great recession. So people who retired in 2006, 2007, you know, right before that happened and had a big reliance on their portfolio to supply income to them. Many people went back to work because what happened is their portfolios, you know, almost everybody saw loss. It wasn't, there was not a lot that, that didn't. So if your portfolio had significant loss right then, and then you needed to sell things at that extremely low value to create income for you to live on, you're selling things at the worst possible time to do it, which mm-hmm. is selling at the low. Remember, I would say buy low, sell high, not sell low. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> and so selling those things in those years where they were um, extremely decreased in value has a much bigger impact than selling things at higher value. So a lot of people went back to work because they weren't sure that they could make it. They didn't think their um, portfolios would last as long. And so that's what sequence of returns risk is. Those same bad market years happening later in your retirement, further down the road, doesn't have as much impact. It still has an impact, but it doesn't have as much impact as it does when it happens early in, in your retirement year. So sequence of returns risk is something that you absolutely need to be aware of and you need to consider. Um, And there's different things that you can do to help protect against that. Yeah. So a lot of times um, when people aren't factoring that in, 
they're they they are accumulating money until they get to retirement and then once they start to you know retire they just start distributing but they don't necessarily change their investment overall picture now sometimes people will say well i'm retiring so maybe i can't be so aggressive and they'll back down a little bit in their risk level but even backing down a little bit in their risk level doesn't always quite um hit the nail on the head because even with a decreased risk level that sequence of return risk still is you know there and still can impact somebody and so to avoid sequence of return risk what you want to try to do is avoid having a lot of market fluctuation be part of the money that you're going to use for income in that first phase of retirement so that's one of the strategies of how to avoid sequence of returns risk so you know we are I believe nine years into a bull market right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's never been one, I don't think, that's lasted longer than 10 years. No, there are two. Yeah. When I you look back historically, there were two that were 10 years. Two that were 10 years. Mm-hmm. All right. So maybe we're on a record setting pace. That could be exciting. Maybe we're going to make history. We certainly are because the market's higher than it's ever been. You know, it's gotten to these highs, you know, consistently over the last year. We keep hitting new highs. But at the same point in time, we don't know when a correction is going to happen. So if you're at that precipice of of retirement or if you've retired in the last couple of years, sequence of return risk can be a portfolio pitfall that you didn't even know was out there for yourself. Very important to avoid. All right. The last portfolio pitfall that we want to talk about is ignoring the current economic cycle in your bond portfolio. All right. So what does the economic cycle has to do with bonds? It has everything to do with bonds, okay? So all of you listeners out there, I want you to picture a seesaw in your minds, okay? Picture a seesaw on a playground. And picture the side of the seesaw that's sitting on the ground to be interest rates, okay? So the side of the seesaw that's down is interest rates. And then what would be sitting on the very opposite side of the seesaw all the way on the end, on the side that's sticking up in the air, is your long-term bonds, okay? And the relationship between bonds and interest rates is exactly like this seesaw. So let's think about that tipping. If interest rates start to go up, it means the side of your seesaw that the long-term bonds are on is starting to tip downwards, okay? And people don't really understand that there is an inverse relationship like this in their bond portfolios with interest rates. Now, The Fed has raised interest rates several times over the last year, and they have said that they're going to do it 10 times over the course of three years. So if you go back to picturing your seesaw, what do you think is going to happen with your seesaw? (laughs) It's going to (laughs) tip. So the things that are most affected by that tip that might be negative for you is everything sitting on that end of the seesaw that's on the opposite seesaw end than interest rates. So long-term bonds sits on the very end of the seesaw. You come down a foot or two, there's your intermediate-term bonds. Your short-term bonds, well, they kind of sit in the middle of your seesaw. They don't fluctuate as much with the seesaw tipping. They kind of stay in the middle and a little bit more stable. And then there's some bonds that sit down on the side of interest rates that are called floating rate and inflation protected bonds. And they tend to move kind of in the same direction as the interest rates do. So that's why they sit on 
the side of the seesaw that the interest rates do. Kelsey, can you tell us what else sits on the same side of the seesaw as the interest rates does? Yep, inflation. Inflation does. Inflation means cost of living is going to go up. Things are going to get more expensive, right? So even think about that. Like if interest rate goes up, what's going to happen if you want to go take out a new mortgage loan? It's more costly to do that. Right. Bam. More expensive to live. <laughs> and that's that's a hot topic right now. Every every mortgage company is out there trying to get people to refinance because interest rates are going up according to them. So Well, yeah. And according yep. to the Fed, they they told us. They don't usually tell us they're going to do it that often or how often they're going to do it. But they gave us some pretty good insight to the fact that that's going to happen. They did. So a lot of people think that bonds are just bonds. And they lump all their bonds into just saying, well, they're all the same. And the truth of it is that they're not. The length of your bond is going to determine where it sits on that seesaw. Or if you're in a bond fund... That category that it's in, you can figure out, is it a long-term bond? Is it an intermediate-term bond? You can figure out the category, and you're going to know where that category sits on this seesaw, okay? So ignoring the current economic cycle in your bond portfolio can create potential loss for you the longer the terms are. And so now think about this. If we get to a point where the Fed is saying, oh, well, we need to start dropping interest rates, then what's going to happen to your seesaw? It's going to start tipping back the other way, and those long-term bonds are going to start going up in value. So the current economic conditions absolutely are tied to the success of your overall bond portfolio's performance, and that's the pitfall that we want you to be able to avoid. All right, so we've talked about three pitfalls, buy and hold without spot-checking your peer group performance, ignoring the sequence of return risk, and then ignoring the current economic cycle in your bond portfolio. If you want to hear some more great things to avoid when your portfolio management, join us October 10th for our Portfolio Pitfall Seminar. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555.